We're going to begin our Easter series today, and we're simply entitling it The Via Dolorosa. And we're going to talk about today before the foundation of the world. So as we prepare to jump in, pray with me right quick. Lord, thank you for those that are watching this morning. Thank you for those that are in the booth and behind the scenes to make sure that we can do what we need to do. Now, Father, bless this time together. Now, hide us behind the cross and let us minister your word. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. When you think about the phrase, before the foundation of the world, what does that really mean to us as followers of Jesus? Uh, we know that God's word teaches that God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit have always been. They, they don't necessarily even have a beginning. So all three were before the foundation of the world. And so the Via Della Rosa is something that we need to consider today. And recently, when I was in Israel last fall, I got to walk the Via Della Rosa. It simply means the way of grief or the sorrowful way. I think it's important in the day in which we live, there is so much misinformation out there. There's so much fake news out there that I begin today's message, not in the Gospels, but with one of the minor prophets. Hosea chapter four and verse six tells us that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now let me give you the context. This was written primarily to King Jeroboam's northern kingdom of Israel during the eighth century. Yet these words ring true today. You say, well, pastor, how does it do that? Well, we have a lot of people out there today that call themselves experts. They believe that they can do this or they can do that, but they've not had the training. They've, they've not had the mentoring. They've not had an apprenticeship. And so they wind up trying to do something and it doesn't work out too well. People are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Well, let's bring it to what's most important. Let's talk about the things of God. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So now... Like in the 8th century, people are making eternal decisions without the right theology. Now the word theology simply means the study of God. So we have individuals that are making eternal decisions about where they're going to be one day based upon wrong theology. Secondly, people are making relationship decisions without the right discernment. They're hanging out with the wrong folks. They're getting yoked up with the wrong people. Why? Because they're making relationship decisions without the right discernment. People are making wrong decisions without the right information. You see, information is that knowledge that's communicated and received concerning a fact. Not fiction, not mythology, but the truth. And so it is our responsibility, especially in the day in which we live, in the coronavirus pandemic, that we need to be willing to make decisions based upon the right information. Then lastly, people are being deceived, then destroyed by incomplete assumptions. You see, an assumption is something that we take for granted. We make an assumption about our spouse. We make an assumption about our children. We make an assumption about our job. We make these assumptions and, and a lot of people today are being deceived and destroyed by incomplete 
assumptions. Let me give you this story for an example. On a cold January day, a 43-year-old man was sworn in as chief executive of his country. By his side stood his predecessor, a, a famous general who 15 years earlier had commanded his nation's armed forces in a war that resulted in the defeat of Germany. The young leader was raised in the Roman Catholic faith. He spent the next five hours watching parades in his honor, and then he stayed up and celebrated until 3 o'clock in the morning. Hey, you know who I'm describing, right? It's January 30th, 1933. I've just described Adolf Hitler, and not, as most people would assume, John F. Kennedy. See, if you don't have all the information, if you've not thoroughly researched what's going on, you can make a bad assumption. The point is, we make assumptions. We make assumptions about the world around us based on sometimes incomplete or false information. In this case, the information I offered was incomplete Many of you, even listening to that story, were already convinced that I was describing John F. Kennedy until I added one minor little detail, the actual date. Well, listen, this is important because our behavior is affected by our assumptions or our perceived truths. You and I make decisions based on what we think we know. And, and a lot of times we're making these decisions about life, about love, about finances, about any of these things on what we think we know. In fact, we're now watching generation after generation destroyed because they are making decisions based on what they think they know. Let me give you an example. The United Nations Declaration of Principles on Tolerance asserts that tolerance involves the rejection of dogmatism and absolutism. However, doesn't that sound a little dogmatic and absolute? Uh, Thomas A. Hembach said, The definition of the new tolerance is that every individual's beliefs, values, lifestyle, and perception of truth claims are equal. There is no hierarchy of truth. Your beliefs and my beliefs are equal, and all truth is relative. Now, we who know better know that that's a falsehood. But there's a group of people that are alive and well today and in key leadership positions around the world that embrace a moral relativism that teaches our values are determined by society we grow up in and deny the existence of moral absolutes. So the reason why I'm here today sharing God's word with you is to talk about some absolutes. Some things that are not based upon a new tolerance, that's not based upon moral relativism, but upon the Word of God. Again, we're going to be talking about before the foundation of the world. So when you and I recognize, when you and I uh, allow the Holy Spirit to come in and convict our hearts and to challenge our lives and to, and to change the way that we look at things, listen, the story of Jesus is one of the absolutes. His he absolutely was born of the virgin. He absolutely lived a sinless life. He absolutely was crucified. He absolutely died. He absolutely was placed in a borrowed tomb. He absolutely rose from the grave. Now before we get to those absolutes in the next few weeks, I want us to think about some absolutes this morning as it relates to before 
the foundation of the world. You see, the, the Jesus story does not begin in Bethlehem. I was there. It does not begin in Nazareth. I visited there. It does not even begin in Jerusalem. I actually lived there for 14 of the 16 days that I was in the Middle East. You see, before Jesus was placed in the womb by the Holy Spirit, before John the Baptist was born, before Jerusalem was overthrown by the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Arabs, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Romans, before David, before Saul, before Joshua, before Moses, before Joseph, before Jacob, before Isaac, before Abraham, before Noah, before Cain, before Abel, before Eve, before Adam, before the foundation of the world. That's how far, that's how long. God's Word teaches that Jesus has been present. Understanding these great truths can set you free, especially in a world of unknowns. And oh, how we live in some unknowns right now. I, I think it's important to recognize as we walk through this coronavirus pandemic together, is that we need to take it day by day, knowing that everything in our lives right now is fluid. All of us are learning how to embrace a new normal, a new normal about work, a new normal about family, a new normal about our kids in school, a new normal about our kids playing ball or, or playing an instrument in the band. Everything has changed. Pastor, what do you think will happen when the coronavirus runs its course? I think we shall forever be changed. I think we're being stretched in such ways right now that, as we all know, if you stretch a rubber band, it never goes back to its original proportions. I think it will be the same way for the church. I think it will be the same way for government. I think it will be the same way for the school system as we walk through this together and finally can see the other side. So let me take a few minutes with us this morning and let's talk about before the foundation of the world. Look with me in John chapter 17 and verse 24. The Bible says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. Now this is Jesus talking. And he's talking to his father. And he's letting his father know I understand my plan. I understand my purpose on planet earth. And you have loved me before the foundation of the world. It's very hard for the finite human mind to even comprehend that, isn't it? I know it is for me. I got some degrees hanging on the wall, but my IQ can't go high enough to really comprehend and understand it. So I've got to be willing to trust that by faith. I must be willing to believe that by faith. In fact... This past Wednesday night, I was preaching out of Habakkuk chapter 2. And I came to chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. And the beautiful words, the just shall live by faith. It means I'm going to believe things in God's word that really don't make sense to my mind. But I know in my spirit that it is truth and truth sets me free. So yes, Jesus is telling the Father, I know that you love me. Before the foundation of the world. Turn over a few pages to the Ephesian epistle. Chapter 1 verse 4. Again the apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says for he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world. 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, not only the Lord Jesus Christ, known before the foundation of the world, you and I have been known before the foundation of the world. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That before the foundation of the world, he knew that we would be in Christ. That we would make a decision and invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come in to our lives. That we may be holy and blameless in his sight. That will make a Baptist shout. You, you think about the depth of that riches. That, that's, it's, it's far more precious than gold and silver or anything else that you and I could ever attain in our lifetime. And yet we know that you and I were chosen before the foundation of the world. And then the Apostle Peter, oh yeah, the very same one that denied the Lord. Notice what he says in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, where he says that he was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Listen, as much as I would love to never let you down, I'm human. And sometimes I, I'm not the right kind of husband I need to be. I'm not the right kind of daddy I need to be. And I'm not the right kind of pastor. But see, we need to be very careful when we put all of our hope and our faith and our trust in man. But our faith and hope should be in God. Why? Because we see that Jesus Christ was chosen before the foundation of the world. This is a foundational pillar. A few weeks ago, we were walking through the Apostles' Creed, and we learned some great truths together. This is one of those truths that Jesus Christ was chosen before the foundation of the world. Notice this quote by Tozer. I, I love Tozer. I love everything he's ever written. He says, God dwells in eternity... But time dwells in God. He has already lived all of our tomorrows as he has lived all our yesterdays. That's pretty deep, isn't it? And sometimes it's hard for me to grasp that he's already in tomorrow on my behalf. He's already there. And whether it would bring me life or death, he's already there. Because the Bible says that whether I'm living or whether I'm dying, I live to the Lord or I die to the Lord, but I am the Lord's. And that comes with maturity over time. It's hard for baby Christians to grasp such a truth. But for those of us who have been in the faith any length of time, you and I can take that to heart. That he has already lived out all of our tomorrows and he has already lived out all of our yesterdays. Turn over to Psalm 90 with me just real quickly. Psalm 90 beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now again, let's try to grasp that incredible truth that Jesus is before time or Christ before creation. Is there such a truth? Absolutely. So taken literally before creation is incomprehensible because there is no such thing as a before or an after until there is a creation. So according to Albert Einstein's physics, time does not exist without mass or matter. Time, as we comprehend, begins with creation, but not so with God. According to the psalmist, God is timeless. So when Jesus took on human flesh, 
The principle of incarnation broke into time and space. Now, wrap your mind around that truth. That nothing really started until the incarnation. Until Jesus was placed into the womb by the Holy Spirit into the Virgin Mary. And yet, then now we have matter. Uh, now we have mass. And thus the beginning. But not so with God because God is timeless. Now, pastor, I'm scratching my head on that one. Well, join the club. I, I still am as well. Did you know that I can preach things sometime that I don't even hardly understand? But I preach it because I want to teach the whole counsel of God and it's the Bible. That's where we go back to Deuteronomy 29 and 29, which simply says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are things that you and I have to trust by faith. And I know that that's very difficult for some of our analytical minds. We want to know the answer to everything. The questions of the universe. Uh, when did we begin? When did life begin? When did all of this begin? And we have science on one side and we have theology on the other. And we think that they are in opposition, but they're not. But the secret things belong to the Lord our God. I want to encourage you that if, if you're having some trouble right now believing, understanding, maybe you find yourself in somewhat of an atheistic belief or an agnostic. I don't even know what I believe, if I believe anything at all. There are some secret things that simply belong to God. And you and I are going to have to learn that as we walk this sojourn, as we go through this life, that there are going to be things that are unexplainable. The coronavirus, for an example. I was pastoring in Louisville, Kentucky when H1N1 virus was going on, when there were struggles, and, but it didn't shut down the world. It didn't shut down our country. They, they didn't cancel a ball game. They didn't cancel an entire league. They, they, they didn't have this financial crisis that's going on right now, but yet that's where we're walking. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. So let me now... Try to make a connection between eternity past and eternity future. You know this verse well, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see the transliteration of the word God there is Elohim. Elohim, Yahweh, Jehovah. It means Self-existent, holy, eternal, infinite, all-powerful, everywhere present, all-wise, all-knowing, self-sufficient, and sovereign. These attributes of God are also attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So when we see that in the beginning God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth, we almost hear the echo of Genesis in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That in the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. So while in terms of Jesus' humanity, He had a human genealogy, in terms of His deity, He has no genealogy. Look back at John 1 and 1. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's talk about the Word for a moment. I think the Apostle John borrowed the use of the term Word... Not only from the vocabulary of the Old Testament, but also from Greek philosophy. Signifying this rational principle of divine reason, mind, or even wisdom. 
So John was very smart as the Holy Spirit laid upon him. So strategically, the term word serves as a bridge to reach not only the Jews of his day in the first century, but also the unsaved Greeks. So yes, the word, the transliteration, logos, you and I have that at our disposal today. So not only do we see the word, we see the word was with God, the second person of the Trinity was in intimate fellowship with Almighty God the Father throughout all of eternity. And then the Word was God. And if you notice the Greek construction, it emphasizes the Word has all of the essence and all of the attributes of deity. Well, Pastor, what does all that mean? It means that Jesus the Messiah was fully God. And that's where we start the Easter series this year. It all begins with the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, he was 100% human, just like us. Yet without sin, he was also 100% God. The only individual ever in the history of man, Jesus Christ. 100% human. He would sweat when it was hot. He would get tired when he had walked a lot during the day. He was 100% human, just like us. But he was also God. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. So his, in his incarnation, he emptied himself. He did not cease to be God, but he took on that genuine human nature and voluntarily refrained from the independent exercise of the attributes of deity. So by doing that, Philippians chapter 2, this is so beautiful. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied, the transliteration is kinu, himself by assuming the form of a slave, our Savior, took upon himself the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself. Whew. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. There's no telling how many times over the years I've preached Philippians chapter 2. But when I get to that portion of Scripture... Even to death on a cross. Why would he do that for us? When you, when you see us today and how we act and how we treat each other and how we treat his holiness. Why would he do that for us? 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 gives us a glimpse into that answer. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm a simple man. But when I consider the theology of that verse. That here I am a sinful man. I've said things I should not say. I've done things that I should not have done. I've been in places I should not have been. I have messed up. I majored in being a sinner. And yet... He was willing to take all of my sin and place it upon him who knew no sin. On the cross of Calvary, he became our sin. 
You know what? I'm glad I hadn't got over it. After all these years of being a Christian, I, I still don't understand it because I know I surely don't deserve it. None of us do. And I think we need to be reminded of that sometime, not in a hateful way, not in an arrogant way, but we just need to be reminded that we didn't deserve His grace. We didn't deserve Him dying and hanging on the cross, but yet He was willing to do that for us. All of God's Word in the Bible comes to us in two forms of speech. We see God's Word of demand, which is the law, and then God's Word of deliverance, the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that will set you free. Not you being obedient to the law. Because none of us can be that obedient. Why? We have a sin nature. The law was given to show us how bad we were. It did a good job of doing that. But then we see this beautiful word of deliverance. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you and I can be set free. So he became our sin. The law eliminates sin, but is powerless to eliminate sin. That's not part of its job description. It points to righteousness, but it cannot produce it. It shows us what godliness is, but it cannot make us godly. So maybe you find yourself today walking through the coronavirus pandemic that if you will just do what you're supposed to do, God will love you more. That if I can just cross every T and dot every I, then maybe, just maybe, I'll find more favor in God's eyes. It doesn't work like that. The law can't do that for you. But you can receive mercy today. You can receive grace today. Martin Luther, part of the history of the church, the Reformation, he said, sin is not canceled by lawful living. For no person is able to live up to the law. Nothing can take away sin. Whoo, glory. Except the grace of God. So no matter where you are today, you may be still in your pajamas and you're watching this on your bed uh, with your family or you're on the couch and you're eating some, some eggs and gravy. I don't know where you are this morning, but let me tell you, nothing can take away sin except the grace of God. And would you be willing today to let that grace take away your sin? Our prayer has been that God would use this time, that God would use these videos, that God would use all this technology for his glory. Martin Luther was right. But so was the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3. The law then was our guardian until Christ some of your translations will say schoolmaster. Other translations will say tutor. The law then was our guarding until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer under the law. It's no longer us trying to earn God's favor by crossing T's and dotting I's. Because we are no longer under a guardian. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, has set us free. Let me close out with just a verse or two here. And as you begin to think about what we've talked about the last 25 minutes or so. John chapter 1 verse 3. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. 
This is talking about Jesus before the foundation of the world. Jesus was the creator. And he's also the sustainer. You wonder how the whole universe stays in perfect operation? Jesus Christ. Because he's the creator. Listen, if you're naive enough to believe that two rocks bounced into each other some 10 billion years ago, then here we are. It takes more faith to believe in that nonsense than it simply in the beginning God created. So we see that Jesus, all things were created through him. And apart from Jesus, not one thing was created that has been created. Paul goes on to say in Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth. So we see all these galaxies and our little nine-planet solar system that's part of this Milky Way galaxy. And we have this very small star that we call the sun that actually helps us to remain alive and well on planet earth. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Even through the coronavirus pandemic. In him all things hold together. So what do we do in a moment like this? As we face... An uncertain future. But we know who holds the future. How do we do it? I think Revelation 4 and 11 is a great place to conclude. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created would you praise him no matter what today maybe it's been a rough week maybe it's been a stressful week uh, joe's been learning how to do homeschooling for zeke and danny they've closed the doors to westminster christian academy just like all the other schools in the in the community we're being stretched He's still worthy. Recently, my truck got sideswiped. <laughs> He's still worthy. I wanted to be live this morning in brick and mortar so I could hug on you. And I could give you a handshake. And we could bump knuckles. But I'm still going to praise him. I wanted to hear the choir live. I wanted to see people walk this aisle and be saved. But he's still worthy. Would you be willing today to say, Lord, no matter what, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to trust you by faith. I'm going to live by faith no matter what. No matter what Fox or CNN or MSNBC says. Regardless of what's going on on the world stage, we're going to praise him because he's worthy. I pray that if you take nothing else away from these few moments together on this Sunday morning, March the 22nd, that you'll praise him no matter what. You'll exalt him no matter what. Why? Because he's the only one who is worthy.